Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. It's one of those things where you pray and you ask the Lord and you're confident the Lord's going to answer, but then when it happens, you are very surprised as if the Lord couldn't do it or if the Lord had any power, uh, didn't have any power. Uh, but I got a call from Brother Art and a um, message from Brother Art and a couple of people that uh, the uh, AB 2943, which is the bill that was at the, not only the Assembly but the Senate, it went to Governor Jerry Brown's desk, was pulled off. Uh, at the last minute, it seems like, and they dropped it. So there is no, praise the Lord for that. What is AB 2943? If you're not aware, there were, um, in a sense, this is my words, it was the stay gay bill. Uh, basically, they were condemning the homosexual community to stay as they were without ever seeking any counsel or any asking any questions because they became it became uh, illegal for them to ask or us as Christians to minister to them uh, because it was a fraudulent, they would be treated as a fraudulent case, meaning that the state of California believed that once you're born that way, then you stay that way and there's really nothing you can do to change. So despite the testimonies of thousands of Christians who practice that lifestyle at one point, and as Paul says, such were some of you, but you were saved, you were washed and you were empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Such were some of you, Paul said. So there were in the early church people that had practiced that, but they were renewed and changed and transformed. Even that, the state of California says, nope, that cannot happen. Therefore, you must stay as a gay person. And if you try to witness to them or if they seek out any information, if you give them pamphlets, if you give them literature, it would be considered fraud because they cannot change. Therefore, you're giving them a false hope. That's what the state of California was saying. It was treated as a fraudulent case. You know, sort of like if you sell a car that it's no good, but you tell them it's good, that's fraud. That is illegal in California to do that. Well, they made Christians to be offering a fraud. That if we tell them that they can repent, believe, and be transformed in Jesus and by the power of his spirit, then that's fraud. And they were going to have heavy penalties and fines and things like that. Uh, and even jail time for people that minister to them, give them literature, pastors, counselors, uh, professional uh, uh, counselors were even involved in that. Uh, basically, they would be um, affected by that. But they dropped it, and I don't know why. And so I'm just standing here telling you what happened. I don't know exactly why. I know uh, the, the reasons they gave was oh, too much controversy and all this stuff, but I don't know why. But ultimately... Uh, I praise the Lord for it because we, we continue to minister and share the gospel. Uh, there's even people in our fellowship here that have family members that came out of that and, and became true, uh, true believers in Jesus. And so we know that God can change. We know that God can uh, bring a new life out of, out of sin, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's sexual immorality, meaning heterosexual sin. Uh, God can deliver them from those sins, and it did not, uh, it's not going to go through the assembly. So... Uh, preach on, believers, Amen. and share uh, without any fear. Uh, although we were already making plans on how to keep going without having to feel the effects of it, um, you know, I guess you got a, a green light. And uh, so, what's that? Prayer and fasting. Hallelujah. Amen. So, 
Let's pray and come before the Lord together. We have our final, uh, hopefully our final one today, which is uh, building a firm foundation, how to be a Christian, how to become a Christian on the two issues that are most controversial, baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I am sure there's going to be disagreements and probably emails, maybe from people that watch the video or hear things, and we're trying to make it as clear as possible based on the Scripture. So let's ask the Lord for his wisdom is his power to show us what the scripture says. Father in heaven, we thank you for all your blessings and who you are and your goodness towards all. I pray, Lord, that as we read this and read the passages that your son taught and the apostles that believed in him taught, that we would be, as, as it were, Lord, recipients of truth. Lord, that we would discover the truth, that we would not uh, invoke our thinking or prejudices or things that we believed about things uh, related to this topic, and insert them into the Bible as if they were doctrine. Lord, that we would receive from you what you say and how you said it, and help us to respond uh, in the power of your Spirit. Help us to respond in obedience and love and faith to what you have to say. Lord, help us, Lord, not to uh, kick against the goad as it would be about the things that you have stated so plain and clear. Uh, Lord, give us a, a new mind, a renewed mind, so that we would understand and apply it to our lives. Lord, we thank you so much that you've made it so accessible, so clear, that any one of us can uh, believe and be saved. Any one of us can trust in you, and any one of us can follow through with what you said, that all of your, belief, all of your people, all of God's people, would have to uh, go through in order to walk with you, Lord. There's things that you mention that are important for our faith and our walk in obedience. So please, Lord, uh, illuminate the scripture to us. Help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. That ultimately, Lord, be for your glory and the love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to the book of Acts, and we're building a firm foundation. Last week, we talked about how to become a Christian and lo and behold, we realize that when you read the book of Acts, which is the, probably the best book to read on how to become a Christian, because remember, these were the apostles. These were the uh, people that walked with Jesus. They, um, they understood what Jesus said, and they proclaimed the good news in the book of Acts. It's called the book of Acts because it's a book of actions. It's what the early church did with the message of Jesus. And we talked about that the Gospels were a little early, to proclaim, uh, to actually go into how do people became Christians because most of the Gospels refer to what Jesus' ministry before his death and resurrection. It's only the final few chapters of the Gospels that we see the death and resurrection of Jesus. So people that believed on Jesus before his death and resurrection uh, did not have the Gospel that was preached in the book of Acts. It was slightly different. Although God saves people always by faith and repentance, they did not have the death and resurrection of Jesus yes, just yet to understand it. And so in the epistles later on, we see that they were written to Christians who had already believed, who had already repented, and therefore the gospel is not so prescripted in there, meaning that it's not so clear exactly what they were saying. There are bits and parts of the gospels throughout the epistles. And the book of Revelation, of course, is the last book in the New Testament, and it's also written to Christians. So we only have the book of Acts as a book to tell us how exactly did the early church went about sharing the gospel? What did they do? How did they say it? 
What did they mean by death and the resurrection of Jesus? How were they empowered? All these things are described in the book of Actions. We call it the book of Acts. What the apostles did with the message of Jesus. What did they do? How did they say it? What did they share? How were they went about doing it uh, once Jesus commissioned them? So we're in the book of Acts, and let's turn to chapter 1. How do I become a Christian? was the question that we asked last week. And we talked about two of them. Repentance and believe. Repentance and believe. The first two are essential, important. The other two are also essential, but they follow. They follow. A person must believe in the work of Jesus. A person must repent toward God. And remember, repentance is toward God what we have done to God because of our sins. It's not remorse. It's not regret. It's not the remorse of what we've done to other people. It's not regret that we uh, suffer the consequences of sin. But it is an acknowledgement and a reality that we have sinned against God, that we have sinned against God. And the psalmist said it best, against you and you alone have I sinned. Of course we sin against other people. They suffer the consequences of our decisions and what we did or didn't do. But it's first of all to God. We are responsible to God. And repentance comes when we acknowledge that, when we realize that, like the prodigal son, against heaven have I sinned. Right? That's the reality of repentance. That's when repentance begins to take root. Of course, we confess our sin. We realize that these are specific sins that we, that we have committed. It's very important to remember that because we can say, I repent of all my sins. Well, which one? <laughs> and then you begin to share with somebody. If you're sharing with someone, which ones are you repenting of? Which is the ones that really are in the forefront of your mind? Uh, and therefore, you can lead somebody to Christ through this, uh, through this uh, message. So this message is not only for believers to firm their foundation, but also for believers to... Lead others to Christ. And my, my prayer after this, and hopefully we finish today, otherwise we'll take it into next week, is that this will give you an outline or somewhat of a structure, uh, although I, I always fight against structure because I, uh, I believe sometimes people put structure above the Holy Spirit. I believe we have to be careful in that balance. But structures are good if we stay biblically structured, right? It's give you an idea of how to lead somebody to the Lord, how to share with them, and how to biblically uh, lead them to the Lord and not just leave them in step one because repentance leads to faith, right? Believe, repent, and those things lead to the next two things that we're going to talk about. Baptism of water and, of course, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Of course, people become very uh, concerned or, or nervous about it or or they begin to line up their verses against uh, what the preacher's going to say because maybe we came from another denomination that didn't believe that or did believe it or were extremes on one or the other, and hopefully we can come to a reasonable balance. First, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus is speaking to them about a baptism. Sorry, I heard a feedback. Maybe it was me. He's commissioning the believers. He's commissioning the apostles to go out into the world. And he tells them in verse 5, John baptized with water. He's speaking of John the baptizer. John the baptizer. And I'm going to use John the baptizer because that's his real name. Uh, he did not have the last name Baptist or he was not from the Baptist uh, denomination. He, 
was probably more Pentecostal than that, but that was his title. <laughs> that was his title. All in joke and a fun. Unless, maybe. All right. He was a baptizer. They called him the Baptist, but his term means somebody who did something. He did something. He baptized believers or baptized people. And therefore, he's called John the baptizer. He did baptize in water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John the Baptist said, I am not the Messiah. They came to him and they asked him, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah, but one is coming after me whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loosen. He will baptize you, not with water, but with fire and the Holy Spirit. Jesus does something to us. When we believe and repent, he does something to us and that he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just to set everything up, because we're going to talk about baptism of water. God willingly, we get to the baptism of the Spirit, otherwise next week. Uh, But it's important. It's important to take it step by step so people don't become confused and maybe don't read into things that maybe were not said. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. This is what Jesus does with every believer that repents toward God and has faith in Jesus. Remember, the first two deal with the two persons of the Trinity. Repentance toward God. I acknowledge my sin toward God. And God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin, to be buried and to rise from the dead again. All right, It's very important to know that. A lot of people do this, um, maybe this mistake inadvertently. They talk about that Jesus died for their sins, and they leave it right there. Jesus didn't die for your sins only. He was buried, and he rose again from the dead. That's the biblical gospel. Why is that important? Because the gospel includes the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. He truly did die on the cross. He truly was buried, and he truly rose from the dead. On the basis of those facts, this is, this is hard-hitting facts, right? On the basis of those facts, on the basis of the facts that you and I cannot change, it's an objective reality that happened 2,000 years ago. And we talked about, and I get so excited when, that, when I talk about this, I will refrain myself from getting too excited, otherwise I'll go in 30 minutes on it, that those objective realities cannot be changed, my friend. They will never be able to be changed. The devil, the world, sin, who name it, you name it, will not be able to change the history that in history, in our history, in time and space, God became a man in the person of Jesus, lived a righteous life, went to the cross to die for our sins and give you his righteousness so that you can become born again through faith and repentance. That is a fact, and you can't change it. You can object to it. You can reject it. You can believe and submit and, and, and receive that which the Lord has given us to, uh, to know. And with those facts, we are to repent of our sins toward God and have faith in Jesus. Those are the first two steps that every believer, everyone that hears the gospel should be doing in order to become a Christian is to repent of their sins 
and to have faith in Jesus. But don't leave them there because the other person of the Trinity has not been involved yet. And this is where the baptism comes in, right? The whole person of God, who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit become part of our salvation. Why? Because we have repentance toward God, we believe in Jesus, and then we receive him whom Jesus said he would send, the Holy Spirit. He plays part of our salvation. In fact, you can make the case that he plays the biggest part of our salvation once we believe and repent because Jesus told us he would leave and ascend. He would leave to the Father and ascend to heaven. And the, what happened to the disciples? Were they sad or they were really happy about that? They were really extremely sad. And Actually, in the Greek, it comes out that they were very extremely sorrowful that Jesus was talking about this. But he said, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will leave you the Holy Spirit. And literally, the vicar of Christ, right? Not the guy who wears white, but the, but the Holy Spirit. The real vicar of Christ is not a man. It is the Holy Spirit. He says, he will take what is mine, Jesus said, and will give it to you. He will teach you. He will comfort you. And the word comfort doesn't just mean that he will hug you, although he does comfort you, but the word comfort has to do with encouragement to keep you going. You ever met somebody, a believer in your life, who was really an encouraging person in your life, who really helped you along in your walk? Well, that was one person sent by the Holy Spirit to encourage you in your walk. So maybe you were stifling, maybe you were stale, maybe you were whatever, and he or she helped you in your walk. It was an encouragement. It is the Holy Spirit who encourages us to go toward Jesus. Right? He will take what is mine. He will teach you. He will be with you because he will be in you. Because he will be in you. Now let's read 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. By one Spirit we were all baptized into one body either Gentile, uh, Jews or Gentiles, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. He's talking to the Corinthians, a very charismatic church who needed to be reminded of what the gifts were about, who gave the gifts, how did they operate, and they were very carnal. He actually, Paul uses that word carnal because in that they were so consumed in the gifts that they forgot the first name of the person that they were to receive, Holy Spirit. They forgot to live holy. When we receive the Holy Spirit, it is the empowerment to live, first of all, a holy life, a holy life, hence the name. Right? You ever thought about the name, Holy Spirit? We receive them, but then we don't live out a holy life. Is that a contradiction in terms? Is he, you know, did the Holy Spirit forget to, that to, to do that in me? No, it's how we're going to relate to him. And this is an important part. How we relate to the Holy Spirit is very, very important. Because as a person, you've got to be reminded of this. I have to be reminded of this because we tend to forget a little bit about the Holy Spirit and just become focused on the Father and the Son. Unfortunately, vast majority of the church has become binatarian. Binatarian. What I mean by binatarian, the word bi means two, meaning that we're focused so much on God, the Father, and, the, and, and Jesus. 
There's nothing wrong with that. Of course not. But don't forget the Holy Spirit who will be with you. He will be in you. And we'll talk about that hopefully today. He will be upon you as well for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So let's continue. So by one spirit, we're baptized into his body. When we believe and repent, John the Baptist's um, prophecy will come true. Jesus baptizes into his body with the Holy Spirit. He puts us into the body of Christ. You are a Christian by faith, believing, right? And we'll talk about the chronology because some people give that, um, they become very concerned about the chronology. Where does baptism of water fit? Where does the baptism of the Holy Spirit fit? And we'll see some examples that regarding those two, that order doesn't really matter. The first part really is important as well. Receiving the Holy Spirit uh, has to do with, of course, being a Christian. You receive the Spirit. He believe, you believe in Jesus. He comes in you. Jesus said, I baptize you into the body of Christ with the Holy Spirit. Ready, all right? Ephesians 1. Let's go a little bit to the right. We're just taking it very simple before we rev up the motors. We're going to rev up the motors in a little bit. We're sort of taking it to a spin for right now. Verse 13, Ephesians 1, 13. In him, that's Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the, to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So when we listen to the gospel message of truth, and remember, this is to, written to Christians. So it doesn't describe every aspect of it, like the book of Acts, but Christians have to hear the gospel in order to become Christians. They have to repent, and they have to believe. Verse 13 does not include the word repent, because it is a, it's written to Christians. This is a, an aftermath. This is basically saying it's already a given that if you're a Christian, you would have repented. It's written to believers, and it's saying, after listening to the message of truth, you believe. So it focuses on belief, but that belief connects it with the Holy Spirit, whom God gave you as a promise, as a pledge of our inheritance, as a view to the redemption of God's own possession. You become his. God is now your Lord, your master. He, he possesses you. It's like the Corinthians. You are not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus, whom God sent to save us. So we actually belong to Christ. We don't even belong to ourselves anymore. That's quite of an interesting thing, isn't it? But how much more do we just do things on our own sometimes? With regards, regardless of what God has said, or we know we become super independent and we get mad at others who remind us that we're not independent, that we are dependent on God because our body's not our own. It's similar to marriage, similar to marriage. And I told Brian I was going to embarrass him, but Roy did it first, so that's good. It begins with, like marriage. In the scriptures, we're told very simply that the wife's body belongs to the husband and the husband's body belongs to the wife. You're not even your own in that regard, right? And uh, Ryan and Kira were married and they became one. 
But that oneness, that oneness comes with also responsibilities and it comes with ownership. They actually belong to one another. Their bodies belong to one another. Like we belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. So more of that to come. Sorry to embarrass you, but I will use them as an example because they're just recently married. So they're so cute and they're just smiling and, and it reminds us how we are to be with our husbands and our wives and you know, remembering the day. Remember your honeymoon. That's going to be an important one today. Remember your honeymoon. Remember your oath. Remember your vows, right? And they remember because it just happened a few weeks ago. So praise the Lord. All right, let's get back to the book of Acts because now we see that this believers are in Christ, in the body of Christ, and we have been by one spirit be put into this body, and Jesus said he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit, and so there's more to come, right? And unfortunately, many people leave people that are, are believing in the Lord, and they're repenting. They leave them there. They don't move on to baptism of water, and they don't move on to the baptism of the Spirit. Why? Because we believe that that is enough. As long as they got that part, they're good. And unfortunately, we kind of leave them halfway down the road. And maybe many, many years later, they get baptized. And uh, they're, they're, they're just not told. They're just like, oh, it's an optional thing. And we become this sort of um, you know, halfway Christian down the road where, how do I start? How do I begin? And well, they just told me to believe. Or they, and, and all kinds of different things. That's why we make the emphasis, repentance and faith. right? And, and this is part of our culture, too. We're very... Greek in thought and philosophy, that we make faith just a knowledge. You accumulate knowledge and you believe that is faith. And we talked about last week, faith is not just a knowledge or an agreement, it's action, it's continual, right? It's a faith that acts, it's a faith that uh, continues in Jesus, it's a faith that uh, uh, doesn't just acknowledge the fact, but does something with the fact. And that is what faith has become. Faith now it's a faith that was willing to submit to baptism. Now let's read it a little bit here in chapter 2. Let's turn to chapter 2. Now this is Peter. And Peter begins to tell them about the need for baptism. Look at verse 38. After preaching to them. Remember, this is what we call kerygma. The message were called kerygmas, which is a preaching you know, so when you hear me preaching or hear others preaching, you can say, huh, that's like the book of Acts, preaching to unbelievers, kerygma, preaching the gospel to unbelievers. And verse 30, let's start in 37, 237. When they heard this, when the 3,000 that are going to uh, exercise faith in a minute, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. This is the gospel message that Peter preached. And they said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Repent, said Peter, and, lead, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed how baptism is always, it seems in, in several passages, is connected to remission of sin, salvation? And this is where people get off topic sometimes because they become so fascinated with water baptism, and they say, see, water baptism alone is what saves you. And I say, no, my friend, water baptism does not have the power alone to save you, but it is part of your salvation. There's no denying that, that it is part of your salvation. How does it work? 
We'll read in a moment. God does something in you when water baptism takes place. God does something. And what God does, and he takes your faith and your repentance, and he climaxes it, or he makes it real to you. Okay, That's why it's part of your salvation. It's God doing something. Now remember, I did not say water baptism is your salvation. I said it's part of it. It contributes. It's a dimension of it. It's a faith that is willing to be baptized. It's a faith that is willing to submit to baptism because it is the pinnacle of my repentance. It is the pinnacle of my repentance. And God does something very, very wonderful. As you could see, it is for believers' baptism. The one thing that the Scripture does not ever say is an unbeliever being baptized, meaning that it's somebody who doesn't believe or who doesn't repent. Because then, if you make water baptism salvation, then all you have to do is get people wet, and they would be saved. (laughs) And it's sort of a wet kind of witness, a wet witness or something like that, right? And neither does it do baby uh, infant baptism because a baby is unable to respond in his own uh, cognitive will and cognitive decision is not able to understand the full aspect of water baptism because water baptism, it's more than just symbolic. It's more than just a ritual. It has a meaning behind it. There's a meaning behind it, and that's why it's, it's so important to understand it, not as a... A salvation alone, but it is to say as part of your discipleship, as part of your discipleship. Remember, salvation is not a once and for all type issue where, you know, you click to check the box, you raise your hand, you said a prayer, and you're, that's it. It is actual, a continual faith in Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. Go preach the gospel. Once they believe, once they repent, now baptize them, because this is my command to them. First thing Jesus tells us to do is repent, uh, um, repent and believe, but be baptized as a Christian. Now is believer's baptism. Let's look at John the Baptist, because he had an interesting thing. Who was John the Baptizer? Right, John the Baptizer. Uh, he was a man who was related to Jesus. He was a cousin of Jesus. And in the New Testament, he was in the Jordan. He was in the Jordan baptizing What was his baptism about? This is before the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? So we're not baptized into John's baptism, but people were baptized into John's baptism. His baptism was a baptism of repentance, literally into repentance. But they just couldn't say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm just going to be baptized into repentance. What what did they have to bring in order to be baptized by John? Remember, John was baptizing. What did they have to bring? He said, fruit that is in correspondence with repentance. I changed the wording a little bit so it helps you understand, right? It's, it's the fruit of repentance, that it's in correspondence with repentance. That means that they had already repented, and they were going to be baptized into repentance. They had to bring it with them. John wasn't going to repent for them. John wasn't going to plunge them into a repentance and they say, okay, now you're repenting because you got wet. They had to bring repentance already with them. That's what he said. If you have too many clothes, give them away. Anybody did that this week? No? You know, John, that's what he said. He said, if you really want to show fruit 
in corresponding with repentance. If you have too many clothes, give some away. Wow. That's quite interesting. Imagine asking somebody that at the, the baptismal water. Did you give clothes away yet? Especially in America, right? Did you give your clothes away? What was the other thing he said? Be content with your wages. Only in America, it's frowned. Right? I'm not saying you're frowning, but be like, really? I'm always fighting for that extra dollar and things like that. But Jesus said, uh, John the Baptist says, "Be content with your wages. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. Don't fiddle the books. Right? Don't try to take advantage of other people. Give away your clothes and be content with your wages. That is something that you bring to to John for repentance, and they did it, and they were to." wash into the Jordan River where there was a lot of water, John says. There was a lot of water, and they were to be baptized into this repentance. So it started then. Now, in the Old Testament, it's very, very similar, because John the Baptist was still in the Old Testament, even though it's in the New Testament. It's part of the Old. You guys understand that? It's, it's in the New, but it's part of the Old, meaning that the New Testament did not kick off until the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the New Testament begins. So you can say that Old Testament is in the New Testament. Very clear. And uh, that's why it's, it's not a hard line, this is the old, this is the new. You know what the worthless, most worthless page in your Bible is? <gasps> he said the Bible is worthless. I did not say, this is how people can take it out of context. You know, he said the Bible is worthless. No, I said the one page that is worthless in your Bible. It's not inspired. It was put in by men. That'd be, it's the one blank page between the Old and the New Testament. You know that blank page? Um, I won't say tear it up because someone's going to say, oh, he's telling us to tear the Bible up. But it's the one page that it actually creates a mental block in people. And they say, oh, that's the old. I don't have to read anything left side of that page. I'm just focused on the right side of that page. And it's actually a blending in going from old to new, right? There is a transition, but a transition that takes place in the New Testament, in the New Testament. Let's continue. In the Old Testament, priests had to go through a ritual, and that ritual included a baptism of water called a mikvah, mikvah, and they had to be anointed with oil. In order to be a priest, you had to go through this washing and anointing. And guess who is a priest in the New Testament revelation of Jesus now? Believers. Just like the priest in the old had a washing and an anointing. Guess what you get? A washing and an anointing. Where's the washing? The baptism. In order to become a priest in the old, you needed a washing and an anointing. In order to become a priest in the new, you need a washing and the anointing. But it's not like in the, in the temple... Who does the baptism? Jesus. He does the baptism. He gives you his spirit. He puts you into his body. But that is a fact. How does it work out in real life? How does it work out in my life? I know it as a fact, but can I experience it? And the answer is yes. Enter in, enter in baptism of water. Because now it's going to become real to you. And by obeying God, he does something with you. He does something in you, okay? So John the Baptist baptized them. It was a consummation of their repentance. And now this climax, it's going to be lived out. 
right? This climax is going to be lived out, and I'm going to go back to the marriage analogy, all right? So Ryan and Kara get married. Ryan and Kara go get a license. Ryan and Kara go get, uh, they, they have a church. Ryan and Kara have a ceremony, and I was there, so I know they got married, and some of you guys were there too. And they get married, and they say, well, the state of California says they're married. License says they're married. I said they're married. The church says they're married. Are they married? Yeah. Don't worry about it. It's not a trick question. They are married. It's true. But is it fully consummated yet? Not yet. Enter the honeymoon. Enter the honeymoon. Where the reality of their marriage becomes experience now. I know we're married. <laughs> I know that paper says we're married, but I just, we just spent time together. We just spent our honeymoon together. I know we're married by factual things and by experience. I know we're a couple, right? I know that we're a couple. And so this is how we apply it to our faith. This is what water baptism does. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. They are in love, but now marriage, the marriage ceremony and the consummation brings their love to a reality, right? A complete expression, we would say. It's now complete. Not only did I say I love this woman, but I'm showing that I love this woman. Not only did I sign the paperwork, but I also expressed it and my love and union with her. You see, you see how that works? Okay, take that into water baptism. Jesus died for your sins. You repented of your sin. You have faith in him. He rose from the dead for you. You have faith in what he did for you. He puts you into his body. Praise the Lord. How can you experience the reality of that? Go get baptized. In union with Christ. And we'll, we'll see in a moment what that means. It's a, com it's a completion of your repentance, right? It doesn't mark the, be the, the it does not mark the beginning of the repentance. It does not mark the beginning of faith, but it's the consummation of faith. It's the consummation of faith. And it's, it's, just, it's not just the end, right? It's like, okay, we get into a honeymoon, we're good. No, it goes on, doesn't it? And so water baptism, it's the entrance into our walk with Christ. Just like a honeymoon. It's like, okay, honey, we had our honeymoon. I don't think we see each other anymore. That's really all we have. Unfortunately, that's sometimes what happens to people. They, 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 they enter into this relationship, and they never continue. They never consummate. Never, they never have this climax moment of repentance and faith. And Jesus didn't baptize. The, the apostles tended to shy away from baptism sometimes. Did you realize you see some of, those, some of those verses when Jesus didn't baptize, and then Peter doesn't baptize Cornelius? And Paul says, I didn't come to baptize you, but I came to preach the gospel. Why were they so reluctant on it? It's quite an interesting thing regarding water baptism. It has to do with the fact that water baptism can become like this idea that, hey, I got baptized by Paul or by Peter or by Jesus. My baptism is much more important than yours. I've met believers like that, unfortunately. I, just, I was baptized by, you know, you name it. Yeah, and name any famous preacher. As if that validates more their baptism over yours or mine. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So you, you have to realize that the baptism is the important part. It's not who did it, the water baptism, is what it means. 
And what it means is very, very important. And so the early church had this mandate to baptize believers. As soon as they were become believers, as soon as they repent in faith, they would be water baptized. So uh, let's continue now. In, in the book of Acts chapter 8. So let's turn to chapter 8, a very pinnacle point, a very pinnacle point in the, in the church's life. The Samaritans hear the gospel, hear the gospel, and they are baptized. Verse 12, when they believed, when they believed Philip, verse 12, chapter 8, preaching the good news, the gospel about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Again, another important part in the church was the fact that they were baptized in the name of Jesus in water. Right? And the book of Acts continues uh, in chapter 8. Look at the Ethiopian eunuch, verse 25. When they had solemnly testified and spoken the words of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to the men of villages in Samaria. But the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Arise, go to the south on this road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. That road's still there. It's a very complicated area right now because of the Gaza situation in Israel. And he arose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch and a court official uh, from Candace, the Ethiopian, uh, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasure, and all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And so this Ethiopian eunuch, it's on a chariot. The Philip, Philip, who had been with the Samaritans, preaches the gospel to him. And it says uh, that he was reading. I'm going to just kind of summarize it. He was reading the book of Isaiah, and he doesn't know what the book of Isaiah is about, doesn't know who this, uh, the particular passage is relating to. Philip says it's about Jesus, and it says in verse 37, uh, sorry, verse 36, and they went along the road, and they came to some water. And he says, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you, uh, you may. And he answered and says, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they ordered the chariot to stop, and they went down into the water, Philip as well, in the eunuch, and he baptized him. He baptized him. So, baptism of water has to do with the word baptize. It is the word that means to dunk or to submerge or immerse. Now, I'm going to tell you something that you can check it out. You can find out on your own why why these things are so. In our English translation, according to the Bible Society regulations of translations, you are not allowed to translate the word baptize into English. The word in the Greek is baptizo, baptizio, right, depending on the usage of the verb. You are not allowed to translate it. Well, pastor, it says baptize. And I think everybody understands what that means. But that is not a translation. It's what they call a transliteration. You take the word in Greek and you put English letters, and there you have the word baptize. And what does baptize mean? And depending on which denomination you came from, it means different things. Why? Because it's a transliteration. They did not translate. Even to this day, the reason why they don't 
Anybody know why they don't translate the, 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 you know, the, that word into English? Anybody? Just take a wild guess. Controversy? Something to do with that. People don't like to be, that word to be translated. They'd rather keep it baptized. And there's a huge uproar uh, to keep the word baptized as baptized rather than translating it. Oh, Pastor, well, it's a big deal, right? Well, it is a big deal if you're talking about the act of baptism, what is to, what is to do. And the word is immerse and to go down into the water, just like I explained it to you. But why is that important has to do with this. Baptism, it's not only the cleaning, right? The cleaning on the outside, filling, that, that, that feeling of cleanliness or cleansing. As Peter said, baptize, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin, for the removal of sin. But it's also the idea of death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. It has the meaning of a funeral. It has the meaning of a funeral. And what I mean by funeral is that as Jesus died on the cross, we are to imitate that exactly the same. As Jesus was buried, we're imitate that. As Jesus was resurrected, we're to imitate that as well. Where does that happen? It happens at the waters of baptism. Romans chapter 6 makes it so clear. just want to... Watch my time. Romans chapter 6 makes it so clear that when you believe and when you're baptized in water, you are now entering into this identification with Jesus. You are going to be identified with him in his death and his burial and his resurrection. So you can say a Christian is not just someone who believes that Jesus died on the cross. A Christian is also a person who has co died with Jesus. A, a Christian is not just someone who believes that Jesus was buried for them. It is somebody who has also experienced their own burial. A Christian is not just somebody who says, Jesus rose from the dead for me. It's a Christian. A Christian is also the person who says, I also have been raised with Christ in newness of life. Waters of baptism goes through that process, helps us understand it, helps us to apply it, and it does something quite interesting. God does something in us. When we go into the waters of baptism, he makes it real to you that your sins have been forgiven, that you have been washed, that you have been cleansed, that you have been buried, and you are alive in Jesus at the waters of baptism. You see, I don't believe water, uh, water baptism is just a ritual that is optional for Christians. It is not a ritual that is optional for Christians. It is part of our salvation. It is part of our identification. And then God does something with it. What he does is he makes it real to you. Experience it. What is a wedding without a honeymoon? Interesting question, right? What is a marriage without a honeymoon? What is a Christian without a water baptism? The same. What is a person who had died with Christ but has never been buried. What is a, you go to the morgue, and you see all these people that are dead, but they're not going to be buried? They just stay there. Nothing happens to them. There has to be a finality to it, right? A finality to it. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10, and let's see how the Bible puts it. 
1 Corinthians 10, 1. Let's see how the Bible puts this water baptism into focus, into action. So read with me. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. We'll get you a Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. I don't want you to be unaware, my brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Did you see the word our there? Little word our, our fathers. He's writing to a Corinthian church, Gentile church, reminding them of the Jewish situation that happened in Exodus. And it goes to show you that um, you have a new heritage, a new family, a new root that goes way back to the Old Testament. You know, it doesn't matter if you're Irish, Hispanic, whatever it may be, if you're a Christian, your roots are not just in those, uh, in that race or culture. Your roots as a Christian goes back to the Exodus. Goes back to the Exodus. Our fathers. See how that works? We have to see ourselves as related to those people that have faith in the Old Testament. What do they do? That our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And look at this word that Paul uses. And we're all immersed, submerged, soaked into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the spiritual food. They were baptized into Moses. They had been following Moses for three days. They had already believed in Moses. They already were following Moses. But they had to be baptized into Moses to know that they were a people of God, that they were following the leader whom God appointed to lead them out of Egypt. See how that works? They believed, they trusted Moses. Moses said, go through that Red Sea, and they did, but they were going through the Red Sea. They were baptized under the cloud, in the water, and under the cloud. We'll talk about the cloud in a moment because the cloud has to do with the Holy Spirit. It was the glory of God that was among them, but they were also had a water one and a cloud one the Holy Spirit. They crossed the Red Sea. It brought them into the pinnacle of their belief. We truly believe Moses is the redeemer of Israel. We truly believe that he's brought us into the promised land. And what happened to Pharaoh's army? As you read in Exodus, it's told that the waters came back and Pharaoh's army was destroyed and Pharaoh stood on the other side unable to touch them anymore. They were out of the reach of Pharaoh. They were out of the reach of Egypt. They were out of the reach of whatever put them in bondage and slavery. Everybody okay with that? Because you know where I'm heading with this is you guys are nodding. What did that, though? What caused the break of that relationship? Water. That's right. Very simple, isn't it? The Bible is so simple. We overcomplicate it sometimes. It is so simple. Water did it. Their baptism into Moses did it. By exercising their faith, it brought their faith and willingness to follow Moses to a climax. And God said, okay, Egyptians one side, my people on the other side, and Pharaoh stood on the other side fuming, no longer able to reach them or put them in bondage or slavery or destroy them. And therefore you have the pure picture of the Christian faith. Not only our death, not only our identification with Jesus, but a finality to our old life. Our finality to our old life. You are on the other side of the shore, and another God of this world stands on the other side of the shore 
saying, I cannot reach you. Satan is the god of this world. And just like Pharaoh could not touch the Jews anymore after they were baptized into Moses and on the other side of the shore, neither can Satan touch the believer who has gone through the baptism, has broken off that relationship with the old life. He cannot reach you. He cannot touch you. These are the words of Jesus. And the armies of Pharaoh were drowned. The armies of Satan, the demonic spirits, are drowned in the waters of baptism, and they cannot do anything to you anymore in terms of put you under yoke of slavery, put you under bondage of sin. They cannot touch you. They cannot do that anymore. You are delivered. Delivered, right? Hallelujah. What does that? Baptism. Water baptism. You see how important it is? It's not just a ritual. It's not a symbol. It's not an option. It is something that God does in us by bringing us to this climactic moment of, I am free. I am delivered. It is quite interesting why so many Christians go to deliverance ministries every week trying to get delivered where that has happened already with the death and resurrection of Jesus and the baptism has freed you. The baptism water has freed you, and he is unable to reach you and touch you anymore. They were drowned. They were destroyed, and because you were baptized into his death, in the death of Jesus, you are dead. To sin, to the law, right? You're dead to sin, you're dead to self, you're dead to the law, you're dead to the world, and alive unto God, because when you're baptized, you come out, baby. You don't stay there that long. Depends, right? I always make a joke about how long you should keep people in there, depending on what I know about their former lives. You know, only a joke. But you come out. You're, de- you're dead, you're buried, and you come out, and you have a newness of life. And you have a new life in Jesus. You've been born again, and you've gone through the water baptism. Satan has no dominion over you. The burial is your final place. And whatever has been done has been done, and you have now no relationship to the old life. No relationship to the old life. Now, think about this. How can we go back to that life? How can we ever go on, if it's delivered, if it's broken, if it's, the chains are broken, delivers has happened, you are no longer in any relationship with that, and you realize that when this happens, this is when Christians are persecuted in the Muslim world. In the Muslim world, when Christians are persecuted, it's not because they go to church. It's not because they say they're Christians or read their Bibles. You know when they are beginning to be persecuted is when they are baptized. Why? Because in the culture, in the Middle East culture, this is a broken off relationship. They no longer have anything to do with Islam. And they're free in Jesus. And therefore now the Muslims persecute those who had been former Muslims, but now Christians. It is quite an interesting thing that it has happened. Um, I'm going to begin to talk about the baptism of the Spirit real quick, um, just to kind of, should I or should not? You know what? I'm going to wait until next week. I'm so sorry. Um, It's just not fair. It's not fair to only commit 10 minutes to it. Uh, I think it will be a great disservice to do that. Um, So in in that regard, I'm going to keep going on the water baptism for one more verse. One more verse, and it's in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you can turn to me, turn with me, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to, um, my apologies, we're going to have to deal with the baptism of the Spirit next week. 
But I'll mention it today. I'll mention it today. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm getting there. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 21. Now, corresponding to that, Noah being safe, uh, being saved in the ark, right? He was kept safe with the eight people that were brought safely through the water. In verse 21, it says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Has anyone ever had trouble with that verse? No, just me. Okay. I wrestle and struggle with that verse because how can this be, Lord? How can baptism saves you? Just keep reading. Not the removal of the dirt of the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. Right? A burial. Here is another Old Testament example of somebody that dealt with water. And the water here broke the relationship off between Noah and the world that he lived in. That sinful world that he was a part of. Eight people total were in the ark, through the water, broke off the relationship. There was no longer a connection with the former world, between Noah and the former world, and it was a new beginning for humanity. Eight people were saved through the ark, and now they were freed from the former world. They were saved. They were safe from the old life through the water. And Peter says, you know what? That's like baptism. It saves you. How does it save you? By ending that relationship with the former world. By bringing you to a, uh, a climax of your repentance and faith. And Noah had to believe in God. He had to trust God for what he told them. And now he's sitting on the other side and saying, I believed exactly what God told me. And you know what? Thank you, Lord. You brought me through the water. And I am on the other side of the water saying, I no longer have anything to do with this world anymore, the former world. And a new world has begun for Noah. And a new world has begun for every Christian, right? It's a new life, right? And it's very important, not a new start, a new life in Jesus. The Bible never says it a new start. It names it a new creation, right? It names it a renewal because it's not just a... Okay, you, you did some bad things in your life. Now you get to start it again. You know what will happen? I'll do exactly the same thing with the restart. But it's a new life, a new creation, and therefore the deliverance has happened to Moses' people, the Jewish people, to Noah, and now to us. Because the New Testament uses those terms to show you how important water baptism is for every believer. So when the Jews look back to Passover, right? They do this. They look back to the Passover. We look back to Passover in our salvation when we go through the death and burial of Jesus, right? We go back to the Passover. We look back at it, as it were, and we say, what happened at Passover? Jesus died. Jesus died for me. Jesus was buried. Jesus paid the price as a lamb without sin. The Jews look back at Pentecost. Well, we look back at Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? I was baptized in water, and now I'm going to have the Spirit. That's going to be next week. We look back at Pentecost. 
we look back at Passover, and this happened at Passover, right? This happened at Passover. You can't see it here, but there's a little rock like a tomb, right? And that happened at Passover. I look back at Passover with great fond memories because it's where my Savior died for me. But it also invites me into that same death in that same burial. I must go through that. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to just pay for your sins. He says, you come up and you go through the same experience. Death, burial, now resurrection. Because baptism deals with our past. Right? Everything that we talked about here is repent, believe. Because of your past sins, God's going to bring that repentance and faith to a climax. Cut it off from the old world. It is gone. Let it go, my brothers and sisters. Let it go. Just don't worry about the old past. Just let it be buried in Jesus. Satan cannot touch you. Demons cannot touch you. You cut off from that relationship. That's what water baptism does. But now, a new start. Does God give us anything for our new start? The answer is absolutely yes. The receiving the Holy Spirit. The baptism of your spirit now deals with your future. The baptism of water deals with your past because you're identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus. The receiving of the spirit, the baptism of the spirit, the filling of the spirit, the renewal of the spirit, all these terms that we talked about <laughs> deal with your future. What has God provided for our future? It's amazing. And so uh, this historical event, the death and resurrection of Jesus, history, yes, but have you made it your own personal experience? Have you made it your own? Have you gone through the waters of baptism? Have you subjected, subjected yourself and submitted yourself, your faith, submitted your faith to water baptism? To go from a reality that happened to an experience that you could say, yes, it has happened to me. I am dead. I've been crucified with Christ. I am dead with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. But I have risen with Christ to a new life. You realize when Jesus died and was buried, Caiaphas couldn't touch him. Pilate couldn't touch him. Annas couldn't touch him. He was out of the reach of anybody that can harm him. That's what burial, death and burial does to us. Satan cannot touch us. Sin cannot deal with us. It has been broken off. But Jesus came back. And that life of the spirit that he lived, that resurrected life, it's the same power that he gives you and he gives me to live it out in the power of and presence of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. We should be so excited about water baptism because, and I think the reason why we sometimes uncouple it, it's because we think in a Greek way. We think that, well, it's a physical act. How can it be any spiritual? It's a physical thing that I do. How can it be connected to anything spiritual? And we forget things that we normally do as Christians that are physical have to do with a spiritual thing. I'll give you one example. The Lord's table. Is it a physical thing? Is it, is it wine? In this case, grape juice? Yes. Is it matzah bread? Is it crackers? Yes. It's a physical thing. But does it have a spiritual meaning to it? Absolutely it does. And does it have a spiritual consequence? 
Yes. I'm glad you said that because Paul says if you drink it, you take it in an unworthy manner, people can get sick, people could die. It definitely does have spiritual implications, isn't it? Right? When you share the gospel, is that a physical thing? And you go, you share, you open your mouth, you tell people, you hand out a tract. But does it have spiritual implications? You bet it does. It changes someone's eternity. Just like water baptism. Physical things, when done in obedience and faith to the Lord, he does something when we do it. And what he does here is an amazing thing. He brings us to this point where he makes our faith climax, our our faith and repentance become real. Now it's yours. And so now you begin to walk with the Lord. And that's what next week's going to be about. The baptism or the receiving, all these terms that we're going to talk about next week because people get caught up on one or the other. And we shouldn't. We should see all the Bible had to say about the Spirit because sometimes people just take their experience and they say, ha, huh, this experience that I had must be for everybody. And it's to validate their own experience. It's to make it that they're sure that, they, that they're doing the right thing. But sometimes those experiences don't relate to everyone and how, what the Scripture says. So we're going to look at that next week. But thank the Lord. Thank be to God that he has given us this full aspect of our salvation. Repentance, faith, baptism in water. We have one left the baptism of the Spirit. But let's pray and ask the Lord to make that real to us in our hearts. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your kindness and goodness. We thank you, Lord, that as we have seen the work that you've done in our lives, I thank you that this, this event, this water baptism event that has happened to us becomes so real to us that we know that Jesus died for our sins, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that now that's made real to us when we obey. And the first sign, the first response to our relationship with you and discipleship is water baptism. Thank you, Lord, that it's, it's part of it. It's, com- it's a component of who we are now. It's an act of obedience and faith, believing that you have done this. And now we experience it. Lord, please, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, remind us, Lord, that we're dead to sin. Remind us, Lord, that we're dead to the law of sin and death. Remind us, Lord, that we're dead to the world. But remind us, Lord, so much that we're alive unto Jesus, that we belong to him, and that his spirit dwells in us, and that now that we have you, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds and in our, and, and in our lives, the, the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, it's needed so much in us, Lord, today. So we ask, Lord, in faith, knowing that we're going to read about this next week, but we ask today, Lord, for a fresh falling upon of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord, and in our lives today, that you would pour it out, Lord, that we would be able to... Uh, Flow the Holy Spirit out of us, Lord, into the world. As Jesus, you promised that when the Holy Spirit came, it would be like rivers of living water flowing out of us, Lord. Please, Lord, let it come out of our lives, this this life that now belongs to you, that you have dealt with our past, that you have dealt with our sins, that you have given us a new life. Lord, let this life be 
an overflowing life of the Spirit, uh, that we would, Lord, not hinder the work of the Spirit in our lives, that we would be submitting each step of the way. Lord, just like we submitted to repentance and faith and baptism of water, we would submit, Lord, to your Holy Spirit as he empowers us, as he fills us, as he uh, renew us, as he does what he is going to do in us, Lord. Help us not to fight, not to resist, not to quench, not to, uh, Lord, uh, kicking against the goat as it would be, or to grieve the Holy Spirit, but, Lord, that he would have full access and full reign in us. So this we ask, Lord, in the power and in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.